get started. So Father God, thank you so much uh, for this time that you've given us. Thank you for the, the privilege it is to open up your word and learn and grow, and we want to learn and grow. Holy Spirit, ask that you would guide us and that you would open up our ears to really hear and our hearts to really, truly receive your word. And we, we want to be like Jesus. You desire for us to be like Jesus. And so uh, we just pray for that, Lord. And, and um, Lord, if there are anybody, Lord, we there's... Um, individuals in, in our congregation, people who are watching online, where last year has been just very, very difficult, and it seems like they're entering another year of uncertainty, another year of difficulty. And so, Lord, I pray at this time that they would experience that peace that passes all understanding, that they would be able to just cast their cares upon you, and at this moment, just focus on you and your word and your goodness and your mercy and your love. And um, it's, it's these things we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Jonah. If you want to find, it's going to be in your Old Testament. The best way to find Jonah is to uh, go find the book of Isaiah, and then just hang a right, go to Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then you'll get to Jonah. You're welcome. Uh, Another easier way to do it is just go into the table of contents. And, uh, you know, some people, they have like, you know, oh, it's so embarrassing to go into the table of contents and look for the book. I promise you, if you open to the table of contents, there will not be this bold words that say, shame on you for coming here. If your Bible does say that, then get another Bible. That's a weird translation. But no, I mean, it's, if you want to find out where Jonah is, and it's snuggled in between Obadiah and Micah, minor prophets, meaning these are smaller books, uh, just it'll help you to find it. And as, as a little bit of encouragement, as you continue to study the Bible on your own, not just here on Sundays or not just on Bible studies, but if you study the word on your own, uh, the more and more you do that, the more and more you will be actually familiar. Uh, you'll familiarize yourself uh, where uh, these books are located. And so we're going to be in Jonah. We're going to spend the next four weeks looking at this amazing book. As a young kid, this is one of my favorite books to go through. Um, I believe it was my mother who had this illustrated devotional, and I just love the pictures. And you know, if if you if you've ever grown up, if you've grown up in church, been part of uh, 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 following Christ for a number of years, you're, this is a this story is very very familiar to you. And most people, when they think of Jonah, they think of what whale, which is actually in the Hebrew, it's actually a great fish. And which is ironic because that great fish really only has like a cameo in this book. The, the, it's mainly when you look at Jonah, it's, uh, it's, you know, following Jonah, not so much the, the great big fish. And, and even though it's, it's following Jonah, Jonah is not ultimately the focus of this book. The ultimate focus is God. God revealing who he is, that he is a God of love, he is a God of mercy, he is a God of grace, he is a God who pursues. And that's what we get in Jonah. And the opposite extreme is that's who God is, and Jonah is really not that at all. And so if, you have, uh, if you're there finally, after looking in the table of contents, found Jonah, we're going to be at chapter 1, starting at verse 1. So here we go. 
Verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, I just want to focus on that one phrase, the word of the Lord, because when you read throughout the Old Testament, that phrase, the word of the Lord, appears again and again and again. It was extremely important. In Genesis one and two, it was the word of the Lord that spoke creation into existence. It was the word of the Lord that appeared to uh, a guy named Abram and said, I'm going to give you a, a son, and through him, an entire nation is going to be birthed. Uh, it was uh, through the word of the Lord that uh, that came, went to uh, Moses when Israel was enslaved in Egypt and said, I want you to go uh, set lead my people out of slavery. Um, and once Israel was led out, it was the word of the Lord that directed them to go out into the wilderness, to go out uh, over to this mountain. And it was the word of the Lord that gave them the law, the way that the people of Israel could be a holy people, separated literally from the, from the rest of the people uh, of, the, of, the, of the world. It was, the, again, as, as the nation of Israel became, you know, got into their own land, the word of the Lord came through prophets, all over the place, word of the Lord was being proclaimed. And that word was a word of encouragement. It was a word of instruction. It was challenging. It was a word of warning, sometimes even a word of judgment. And so some of you may be kind of tracking where I'm going with this. If, if, if the word of the Lord was really important to the people back in the Old Testament days, it would be foolish for us to think that it's not important for us today. That we need, even today, we need the word of the Lord in our lives. In fact, this is how the book of Jonah starts. It begins with the word of the Lord. And if you skip over to the end of the book of Jonah, it ends with the word of the Lord as well. It starts and it ends with the word of the Lord. And really that's how our lives really need to live. We need to begin our life with the word of the Lord. We need to end our day with the, the, the word of the Lord. I mean, we need it. To live in this crazy, confused world, we need the word of the Lord. To, to how to steward what God has given us to be, you know, to be faithful with the, the, our finances. We need the word of the Lord. Men, you know, when it comes to loving our wives and, and discipling our children and leading our home, we need the word of the Lord. And where we get the word of the Lord is look no further than the word of God. That's where we're going to find the word of the Lord. And I, I've said this so many times, and I don't care if I repeat myself, because it's just, it's just when you start getting annoyed with what I'm saying, that's when it's actually starting to really sink in. This is not just a book about God. This is a book from God given to mankind. The eternal God wrote this book. And so because he is eternal, this, the truths in here are always timely. It's always going to be relevant. Paul says that this book is God-breathed. It's inspired. Uh, um, Hebrews says that it is, it is uh, living and active. Uh, the apostle Peter says that it was uh, through God's divine power. He has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness in the knowledge of him found in his promises. We have everything right here. This is where we need to start. And you know, because we're in the new year, many of you have probably set up new year's, what resolutions, right? New year's resolutions, probably for some of you, maybe those resolutions are the same that were last year because you didn't do them last year. So you're doing them this year. Some of like, I'm not, I've given up on resolutions, but uh, I would encourage you begin your day with a word from the Lord End your day on the word of the Lord. Find it in God's word. This will help and protect you whenever wahoos come along and they start saying, oh, I, I, I you know, have this supernatural 
antenna that's like tapped into the very gates of heaven. And I constantly receive, you know, words from the Lord. You know, these are, they call themselves modern day prophets. And, you know, I constantly receive new revelation. It's like, well, we don't need new revelation. Everything has been given already. We have everything we need. Well, you don't understand. My revelation will help you unlock mysteries. Well, the Bible makes it really clear the greatest mystery that has been revealed to us is the mystery of God's salvation planned for salvation through Jesus Christ his life, death and resurrection and everything else that it, it's not too clear on. It's really not meant for us to worry about. We're just to be faithful on God's word. We need to make sure we are a people of the word of the Lord of God's word. So again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now the word, the, the name Jonah if you did some study, it means dove, okay? Amitai means the trusted one or the faithful one, which I find it pretty ironic because Jonah is anything but faithful. When we read Jonah, we read about a faithful God, but we read it also about a pretty pathetic prophet, a man who doesn't live up to that name. Now, we don't know a lot about Jonah, we really don't. I mean, the only other time he is mentioned in the Old Testament is uh, 1 Kings chapter 14, and it's very brief. It was, he was a prophet uh, to the northern kingdom serving under Jeroboam II, and he just gives a word uh, that God's going to increase uh, Jeroboam's land. And so it was, oh, yeah, it was a great prophecy, and he's considered, uh, he's, he's called by God as a servant. Um, the other time uh, Jonah is mentioned is actually in the Gospels, twice in the Gospel of Matthew and once in the Gospel of Luke. And each time Jesus is, is talking about Jonah. And he, Jesus refers to Jonah as a prophet. And that's exactly who Jonah was. He was a prophet. He was commissioned by God uh, to, to be obedient, to hear from God, to hear the word of his word and to proclaim his word to the people. But what I also find very fascinating here is not only did G jo Jonah, this dove, this uh, son of Amittai, the faithful one, not only did Jonah not live up to that name, but nowhere in the book of Jonah is he referred to as a prophet. Nowhere. I encourage you read it. Jonah, he's just described as Jonah. And whether Jonah is the one who's actually writing this book or another author is writing this account is kind of being purposeful here. Jonah doesn't deserve that title, doesn't deserve that recognition because everything in his life is the exact opposite of what you would want, what you would expect in a prophet of God. So not only does he not live up to his name, Jonah, the son of Amittai, he doesn't live up to that title of prophet. So he's just referred to as Jonah. Really, really interesting. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, God gives two commands. Arise, go to Nineveh. Now in Hebrew, when commands are given back to back, uh, one of those commands modifies the other. And basically it's, it's to show intensity or an emphasis. And so some of your translations may say, go immediately or get up and go. It's, it, it's basically God's not saying, okay, you know, uh, Jonah, when you have time, could you please go do this thing? No, he's saying, get up, do this right now. Obey, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Now that word great could mean a number of things. It could mean 
a lot of, like a great army. There's a lot of soldiers. It could also mean great as in size or magnificence. And archaeological discovery of the ancient city of Nehemiah showed that it was a pretty impressive city. I think, I mean, there are other cities that are a lot larger, but it was pretty impressive. I mean, it had two walls, an outer wall and an inner wall. And some scholars uh, uh, estimate that that outer, that second wall, the inner wall, um, probably stood about 100 feet, 50 feet thick and wide or whatever you want to call it. So pretty impressive. Not only uh, that, but all surrounding that walled city were all these different villages. And so it, it could be possibly be that during the time of Jonah, that whole region, that whole area was considered Nineveh. So yes, it would have been great. It would have been huge, magnificent. The word great can also mean significant or important. And that truly was Nineveh. Nineveh ended up becoming the capital to the Assyrian Empire. Now, at the time of, of, of Jonah, Assyria was not the proud and powerful and confident people that they would eventually become. At this time, they had been going through a number of difficulties. One was there was internal uh, struggle going on between the rulers. People were fighting. Rulers were fighting to try to gain uh, uh, power. And so that was causing some confusion there. On top of that, they also experienced not just one, but two severe famines. Now, according to their ancient belief, anything like with a plague or famine was the result of the gods not listening to you because they're upset at you, or worse yet, the gods failing you. Now, I I find that just so fascinating and again, just shows God's amazing, his timing. It's just so perfect. Here's this people, the Assyrians, and they've just gone through all this stuff. They, you know, they can't, they can't go to their gods because their gods are not listening to them. Their gods are failing them. They can't go to their rulers because there's inner conflict going in. So who else do they have to turn to? Jonah sends a message to them. Again, God's timing is so amazing. Right when they're on, uh, at the lowest of the low, God's sending Jonah. As we're gonna read is that it's, it's not a really great, it's not great news at all. It's a warning to them of impending uh, judgment. But God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against them. Stand before them and cry, proclaim, shout, announce before them. Why? For their wickedness has come up before me, has ascended. It's this idea that, you know, their smell the smell of their wickedness has reached my nostrils and they stink. And the wicked, wickedness is this idea of evil. And, and, and truly, the, the, that's, the Assyrians were a wicked group of people. Not only do they worship other gods, but uh, they were known, uh, famously known for their brutality. I mean, there's some ancient uh, um, chronicles from some of the kings of Nineveh just proud, proudly proclaiming what they did to men, women, and children who were their prisoners, how they would brutalize them, torture them, mutilate them. I mean, they would, you know, chop off their heads, stack up their heads into like these columns, place them outside the, the cities where they conquered as a warning to all, don't mess with Assyria. 
they would take families and they would impale them on poles and line them around their walls. Again, don't mess with us. They would, in, in some instances, they would actually even skin people alive. And another is just, they would take their prisoners. I don't even know how they did this, but they would bury them in the ground neck deep. And somehow they would take their tongue and they would stick it, pin it down like either on a piece of wood or in the ground, letting their tongue hang out and let them just bake into the sun. Just to show you how sadistic and twisted this group was. They're proud of it. The Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. And eventually, it's interesting that God ends up using the Assyrians to eventually judge Israel because of their uh, uh, unfaithfulness to God. But they're a wicked people, a dangerous people. And God's saying, I want you to go. I want you to go to Nineveh and cry out against it. Verse three, but Jonah rose up. Now that word rose up is the exact same verb that God uses in the beginning when he's commanding Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh. It's the same one. So God said, arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah arose. And so it's almost like the the author is kind of setting us up to go, okay, well, this is what prophets do. They heard a word from the Lord. He's obeying the word of the Lord. This is what's going to happen. Instead, it says here, but Jonah rose up to flee, to bolt, to run away, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It's it's not a, a very difficult theological concept to understand. You cannot run away from God. Okay, you cannot run away from God. God, that's, scholars will say he's, he's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. He is, that's what makes him God. He is all powerful. He's everywhere. Um, he knows all things. But sometimes when we're sinning, it causes us to do stupid things. Amen? Things that are, don't make sense. We, you know, uh, uh, try to logically uh, excuse what we're doing. It doesn't, again, it doesn't make sense. The word presence uh, there, it has to do with standing in the face of the Lord, standing before him, standing before him in, in, in worship, standing before him in, in devotion, standing before him in service. And here Jonah's like saying, nope, nope, not anymore. I don't want to do this. No way, God, I'm, 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 I'm leaving. I'm going to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is an interesting word. Um, it's been used to... to it, it, we find it, um, we find ships during that time that were named Tarshish. We find individuals who were named Tarshish. We find other events that were named Tarshish, which made scholars earlier on wonder if Tarshish actually existed. But we do know now that there is a place that was known at that time as Tarshish, and it's located in what we call in Spain. It was a Phoenician village or Phoenician city. Um, and that was like close to 3,000 miles away from where Jonah uh, was supposed to be. So Nineveh was like about close to 500 miles away. So it would take Jonah about a few months to get there on foot. Jonah was like, oh, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish, which is almost 3,000 miles away. It's like, I'm going as humanly possible, far I can go away. Now, what's very interesting is uh, that word, the, the, the name Tarshish, um, it, it seems like we're, we're discovering that um, not only was it a location, but is also used as a, um, a as, as an expression. 
to refer to something that's super far away or out in the middle of nowhere. We have a modern equivalent of Timbuktu. You hear that? Oh yeah, my boss sent me to Timbuktu. And again, Timbuktu is a real place, but it's an expression to describe something that's someplace that's super far away where no one is. So again, you understand what Jonah's doing. I'm running away. I'm just getting out of here. Again, it's just a foolish thing for Jonah to do, but he's like, I'm not doing it. You called me to be a prophet. I'm okay to do that so long as what you want me to prophesy is what I like and what's convenient, what's comfortable, what's safe, but this isn't none of those things. I'm out of here. So he gets out. He flees from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, which was a, 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 a um, kind of a seaport, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Again, repeating the phrase, this is what Jonah's doing, running away from the presence, from the face of the Lord. Now, what's very interesting is uh, there's a pattern here in, in the, the author is repeating this word down. You know, first, uh, Joan is a prophet before standing before uh, the, in the presence of, of the Lord, serving God as a prophet. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, no way. So he goes down to Joppa, finds a ship and goes down into it. Eventually, he's going to lay down and go to sleep. And it's just, again, it's just this pro- progression, which really we see that's what sin does. Sin never lifts us up. It always brings us down further and further and further. A lot of people think, well, if I, if I just engage in the sin, it'll, it'll satisfy me. It'll give me what I want. No, it's just going to make you go down and down and down. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. And this is how the enemy works. Notice he says, so he went down to Joppa and found a ship. In the Hebrew, it's literally he, he just happened upon a ship that was ready to go. Like, oh, it just happened. Look, what a coincidence. There's a ship heading in, a dire- in the exact direction I want to go. That's how the enemy works. The enemy hates us. If we follow Jesus, he hates us. He doesn't want us to follow uh, uh, God in, with, in righteousness. He wants us to live in sin. So what is he going to do? He's going to make it very convenient, very easy for us to engage in sin. So if you're running from God in the sense that you are living in sin, don't be surprised if you just happen upon a boat heading in that direction. Oh, it's just a coincidence. I was, you know, I was, I was um, depressed and not happy in my marriage. And all of a sudden, this woman comes along and oh my goodness, it's as if God brought her and now I'm happy and I've never been more happy. This is so convenient, amazing. That's how the enemy works. If you want to engage in lust, you're gonna find lustful eyes looking back at you. It's not gonna be hard to find. You're going to find a computer, a tablet or a phone connected to the internet with nobody around well, this is really convenient. The enemy's always ready to prepare a ship heading to Tarshish. That's how he works. Some of you are like, you know, well, I, I know I need to read the Bible, but I, I don't want to read the Bible. Well, don't be surprised if you find out that there's a party going on with family and friends. Oh, I'd like to go there. 
Or, you know, I found out there's a new program on Hulu and it's all the episodes of this new series. Oh, I'm just going to binge watch. It's going to be amazing. Don't be surprised. That's how the enemy works. Preparing these boats. So Jonah's like, ah, I found a boat. Perfect. Here we go. He went down into that boat. Now, verse four, the Lord. So didn't really run away from the Lord. (laughs) That's the evidence right there. Here's the Lord. Jonah's running away. God's right there. The Lord hurled, literally forcefully cast down a great wind on the sea. And there was, or because of that wind, a great storm on the sea. Now that word great is also repeated a lot in this this section. First, it's uh, Nineveh, the great city. Then we have a great wind, a great storm. Eventually, it's a great fish. Later on in in, in the story, we're, 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 we're revealed a great God. So, God brings us this storm. He hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Now in the Hebrew, it's very interesting. It's like the focus now goes onto the ship and almost personifies the ship. It's as like if, if the, the ship is just there sitting in the ocean, all the waves are coming, it's all violent, it's crazy, it's horrible. And the, it's, it's like the ship is seriously contemplating, I'm done. I'm going to break up now. You know, I can't handle it. I'm trying to hold it together, but I can't. This, this storm is way too big. It's just, again, a very interesting, creative Hebrew way of describing how violent this storm is. And this is, how, this is again, just shows you how, how amazing God is. God, God, if we're his children, he's a good father who loves his children and doesn't want to see us living in sin. And so what he does, sometimes he'll send a storm into our life to grab our attention, to wake us up, to shake us up and go, hello, what's going on? He doesn't want to see us in sin. So sometimes he sends that storm. Sometimes it's a pretty bad storm, a pretty bad storm that knocks us flat on our face. Now, granted, um, there are some storms that's a storm right there. <laughs> yeah. What was I at? Storm. Uh, yes. Sometimes a storm comes into our life and it's not because we are sinning. Sometimes a storm just comes because we live in a sinful world. We live in a world where there's evil. And so some people go, well, how can I tell? If I'm, if I'm experiencing a storm in my life, how can I tell if it's because I'm sinning or if it's just because I live in an evil world? God's not a God of confusion, okay? If, if you are experiencing a storm because of your sin and God's just trying to get your attention, he's gonna make it very clear that that's why you have that storm. I mean, when I discipline my kids, I don't just discipline my kids and say, well, now you gotta figure out why you got disciplined. That doesn't make any sense. God's not like that. When you experience a storm, and if it's truly legitimate because of, of, of sin, you're going to know. But again, the, the storms, the storms in our lives are not put in our lives to pay us back for our sin. They're to bring us back from sin. So remember that. When sin comes into your life because of sin, it's not to pay you back for that sin. Jesus already paid that price. It's to bring you out of it. 
So God sends this storm. The boat's like, I give up. Verse five, then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God. Now, if this boat was heading directly to a Tarshish, Tarshish being a Phoenician city, most likely this ship that Jonah is on is a, a Phoenician ship. Uh, the, the, probably even made up of a, a number of Phoenician sailors. Uh, the Phoenicians were experts at the sea. They were a seafaring people. They, they weren't um, uh, just in boats that you know, hugged the, the, the shore. They were in big, massive boats that would go way out deep in the middle of the sea. So they knew what to expect. They knew how the wind worked. They, they probably experienced some pretty doozy of a storm. But this storm is something that they've never encountered before. Just the, the, how fast it came, how violent it was. They recognized that this was supernatural. So what do they do? They start crying out to their gods. It's like, this is what we gotta do. And again, their ancient belief system, the gods that they worshiped ruled over various parts of creation and over various aspects of life. So you had a God over power, a God over peace, a God over war, a God over the ocean, a God over, you know, farmland and, 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 and whatnot. And the last thing you wanted to do was upset one of these gods because then you will experience their wrath. And at times, some of these gods were actually friends with each other. So it's almost like you offended my friend. Well, now you're going to hear from me kind of thing. And so here, these uh, Phoenician sailors are just crying out to their gods. Let's just try them all. We got to figure out which one we offended. So you, Tom, you take that God. You, Frank, you take this to God and, and you get your amulets out and you get that magical scroll and start reading it and you get that handkerchief from the televangelist and let's just try to figure this out. Let's figure what we're going to, let's see if we can fix this. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea. The word through is the same word when it describes the Lord hurling a, a wind into the sea. It's the same word. So God uh, hurled this wind, started a storm. Now they're hurling their cargo, which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They didn't want the boat to be sinking, to be getting all the waves in there to sink in. Look what it says. But Jonah, oh, Jonah. Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and had fallen sound asleep. Now, the way the Hebrews written there, it could have been some, this, this, this could have happened prior to the storm. It's very possible that, you know, they're on the boat and, and Jonah's just like, you know, I think I'm going to go take a nap. And then that's when the storm hit. Or it could have been in the middle of the storm. All the confusion, the, the boat tossing and turning, the waves going on, the captain's barking out orders, screaming, they're screaming to their gods. And Jonah's like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go down and take a nap. <laughs> You're just like, what? And when he says he's fell, fallen sound asleep, that's not just a simple little nap. That's the same word used uh, when, when God um, put Adam in a deep sleep to remove one of his ribs to make Eve, it's that deep of a sleep. It's just like snoring. You're not waking up for nothing. It's the kind of sleep I miss. <laughs> Prior, my, my BC days before children, that was a sleep I remember. It was so glorious. I mean, 
you couldn't wake me up for nothing. So deep, wake up, you're like, oh, I feel like Superman. That's Jonah. You're thinking, are you kidding me, Jonah? Verse six. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Like, are you kidding me, Jonah? Look, he gives a command, get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Now the word he uses for get up is the exact same word that God used to command Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah arose, but didn't go to Nineveh. He's going to Tarshish. Now the captain is going to this prophet of God and saying, arise, call on your God. Maybe that'll be the key. Maybe he's the one who's upset. Maybe he's the one causing the storm and maybe it'll, it'll, it'll go away before we, we perish, before we're lost, before we're destroyed. What's so tragic is that we're not given any evidence that Jonah did that, that Jonah did anything. The captain says, get up, call on your God and nothing is done. Jonah doesn't pray to God. He doesn't say anything. And so what do they do? Verse seven, each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. It's like we tried everything. We start calling on our gods. Well, that's not working. The handkerchief from the televangelist isn't working. You know, that, that, we start throwing all of our cargo out on, uh, into the sea. That's not working. We go to this guy, this idiot sleeping in the, in the hull of the ship. We say, call out to your God. He's not doing anything. What do we do? Let's just go ahead and cast lots. Figure out what's going on. Jonah does nothing. Keeps his mouth shut. But God's not gonna let him get away with that. Says so, so they cast lots. It's almost like an equivalent of you know, rolling a dice, but they sometimes had a little jar, rocks in there, or some other things that stood for things, and they would sometimes shake it up and pull from that. You know, they had a number of ways that they cast lots. It says, so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Big surprise, right? And it reminds us of Proverbs where it says, you know, the, 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 the lot is cast, but its decision is determined on by the Lord. Here's good. Yeah, he's taking a nap. So the cast of lots and the, the lot fell on Jonah. Not a big surprise there. We already know he's the one. Verse eight, then they, the sailors said to him, tell us now, and this is, there's this an emphasis there. They're, they're, they're pleading with him. Tell us, please, we beg you, on whose account, or it could be translated, for what reason has this calamity, has this evil struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? You gotta think, the storm is still raging at this point. Loud noises, thunder, you, we don't even know, other than the fact that it, the ship is about to give up the ghost. You know, it's, it's, it's ready to break up. All this commotion, you almost wonder if, if this was coming from the different sailors. 
you know, what is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? Uh, from what people are you? Now, all these uh, questions are on purpose because again, according to their ancient belief system, each of these questions was attached to a God. So what was your occupation? Because there's a God that oversees that. Where do you come from? Because there's a God that oversees that land that you're probably from. What is your country? Because there's a God for there. What are your people? Because there's usually a patron God that you serve. Come on, let us know what's going on. Verse nine, and he, Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, for the Phoenicians, uh, they worshipped a, a god called uh, Baal Shaman, uh, who was uh, considered the lord of heaven. He was a, a storm god who had the reputation of creating these nasty storms that made ships sink. A lot of other uh, uh, belief systems believed in a, in a god of the heaven. But here, Jonah doesn't refer to Baal Shaman. He refers to Yahweh Elohim. I serve Yahweh Elohim of heaven. And look how he describes him. Who made, who manufactured the sea and the dry land. So it's like, okay, this God that I serve is above all your other gods. He is the God of the heaven. He's the top God. But he's above all your other gods because this God that I serve created everything. Your gods, your little demons that you worship just rule over small areas. My God rules over everything. So look at the response in verse 10. Then the men became extremely frightened. Literally, they became frightened with a great fright. There's that word great again. And they said to him, how could you do this? This is a phrase that kind of reminds me of, of God's um, ex, uh, response to Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. What have you done? Now, obviously, God knew what they did. He's God. He's all-knowing. But it's, this, it's this, exclama- this expression of like, I'm dumbfounded. Are you kidding me? I'm in almost disbelief. What have you done? Fear these soul, soul, uh, sailors. What have you done, Jonah? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So you're telling me that you serve a God that's greater than our gods, more powerful than our gods, who created and rules over everything? And you're running away from him? You're disobeying him? This doesn't make any sense. It's so tragic in um, in train, uh, uh, train stations in particularly Europe. Um, whenever the trains uh, get to the, the platform, uh, some of the trains uh, stop around a curve. And so because the trains are stopped on a curve, there's this gap between the platform and the train. And so over the loudspeaker again and again and again, you'll hear the phrase, mind the gap. Mind the gap. And I always think Jonah should have mind the gap. Between, between what he professed and how he actually lived. Look what he says. What does he say? I fear the Lord God of heaven. Now we as the readers know 
he's not really fearing the Lord right now at this point. Oh, I'm devoted to, to, to Yahweh Elohim of heaven. But what we're realizing is that that's just, it's half-hearted, completely half-hearted devotion. Again, it's, it's so tragic because you think about it. He's a prophet of God. He should know better. I mean, if we lived during that time and we were just looking at his life, what he was doing, we'd probably come to the conclusion, man, that guy's a godly man, very righteous, dedicated to God. He serves God. He's obedient to God. It's just, he's the type of guy I want to be like. But yet, here he is, giving a bad example of what it looks like to follow the one true God. He should know better. I fear God, but his life doesn't show it. How many Christians are like that today? Oh, I I fear Yahweh Elohim of heaven, the ruler of everything. I fear him. I follow him. I'm dedicated to him, but life doesn't match up. When I was in college, I remember so many students who said they loved Jesus, they were following Jesus, but then on the weekends, they'd go party with people that they met at their jobs. I mean, they would party, get engaged in a whole bunch of stuff that they should not be a part of. Things that, you know, Paul brings up should not be a part of your life because you're a citizen of God's kingdom. They would partake in that and then come Monday, they would be in chapel lifting their hands. Oh, we love you, Lord. I'm devoted to you. Tears coming in their face. I serve you, Lord. And then the weekend, the same thing would happen again. Tragic is that they would actually do this among non-Christians. This is how they would live. So they'd work at, uh, you know, Starbucks and they'd go out and party with their Starbucks friends who are not followers of Christ. Oh yeah, you follow Jesus, but you're one of us. Even foolish, more foolish than that, some of these guys would actually try to get those people to follow Jesus. Like, all right, you know, you need to follow Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. Let's go for another shot. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. It's almost icky. When you, when I read this, it's just icky. It's like, ugh. You're a prophet of God and you're supposed to know better. Here are a bunch of people who are suffering because of your stupidity. Here are a bunch of people who are lost in darkness and you, a prophet of God, have an opportunity to point them to the real true God. And he does in a way, but it's so pathetic. So pathetic. So tragic. Verse 11, so they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? Looks like we're, I almost think like their patience is done. Like, okay, what are we gonna do to you to make this stop? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. It was getting more violent, more rough. It was in becoming enraged. Verse 12, he, Jonah said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now that word, pick me up, there's a similarity, not completely, but there is a similarity between that and the command that God gives to arise and go to Nineveh. 
Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah arises and flees. The captain says, arise, pray to your God. Here, Jonah says, lift me up. Throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know, I understand, I realize, duh, that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Now, there's a lot of commentary, uh, commentaries that at this point come to the conclusion, okay, so here Jonah realizes the errors of his ways. Here Jonah, uh, you know, uh, recognizes he's done wrong. He's trying to make good. He's trying to, 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 to help. Look, he's, he's, he understands that the, the, if he stays in the boat, they're gonna die. And so he's gonna sacrifice himself so that they can live. Oh, and this fits so beautifully with Jesus because Jesus did the exact same thing for us. I'm sorry, that doesn't fit with Jonah because the Jonah we're introduced in chapter one is the same Jonah we leave in Jonah chapter four. Nothing changes, maybe just a little bit, but he's still the same Jonah, the same pathetic prophet. Because, you know, number one, the first question is like, why, did he, why is he asking the sailors to throw him into the, the, the boat? Yeah, throw him off the boat. He could easily just hurl himself off the boat, you know? But again, he's, he's, it could be just realizing, well, you know, God created us in his image and to, for me to end my own life would not be really good. So why don't you guys kill me? That'll be great. The other question is, why throw him off the boat at all? I mean, honestly, if this storm was brought on because Jonah is trying to flee from God, from the presence from God, from doing what God is commanding him to do, why wouldn't he just say, you know what? I've sinned against God. Captain, turn the boat around. Get me back on shore so that I can go deliver what God wants me to deliver. God probably would have stopped, most likely stopped the storm at that point. But instead he says, throw me into the sea. Let me die. See, Jonah is still the same pathetic prophet. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And you could read ahead. You can read exactly the reasoning why Jonah is running away from the Lord. But we're going to save that. Just like the author saves it for the very end, we're going to save it for the very end. The real reason why he's fleeing from the Lord. But he's like, I don't want to do what you want me to do. So I'm going to try to run as far as away as I possibly can. I'm going to go to Timbuktu. Now there's a storm. Ah, it's stopping me. I could go back and obey, but you know what? I'd rather die than do what, what you want me to do. Just throw me, chuck me into the water. Verse 13. However, the men rode desperately. The word road there is, is, it literally means to dig in deep. It's so usually used to describe like putting your shovel or pick into the dirt. So they're, they're, they're digging their, their oars into the water deep. And so there's intensity. They're trying desperately to fight this storm. They, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Literally, the violence of the storm was increasing. Look at their response, verse 14. Then they called on the Lord. Earlier on, 
They're terrified about the storm. And what do they do? Start calling on all their gods. Here, they call on Yahweh. They understand he's it. He's the one true God here. He's the only one that can actually help. They call on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Yahweh, we beseech you, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. Of course, Jonah isn't innocent, but it's the idea like we're going to about to do this thing and we don't want his death to be on our hands and we, the guilt of his death being on our hands. For you, O Lord, Yahweh, have done as you pleased. You, God, brought this storm. You're the one trying to get this guy. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah threw him into the sea or hurled him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. Just like that. And as a result, look at the response, verse 16. Then the men feared Yahweh greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, vowed of the dedicating their lives to service of him. So again, where did they get the animal for the sacrifice? I don't know. Maybe it was like floating around in the cargo. Maybe they still had some animal on the on on board. Could possibly be when they they finally made it to land that that's when they made a sacrifice. Either way, the point is these pagan individuals who used to cry out to all their gods are now calling on the one true God and worshiping him and dedicating their lives. Incredible. This is something that Jonah could have had participated in, could have had the joy of leading these people to the one true God. Instead, they come to the one true God even in spite of Jonah. So they hurl Jonah in. The men are devoting their lives to, 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 to the Lord. We're not told as far as the extent. And again, we just uh, assume that they continue serving uh, the Lord. But then it says, verse 17, and the Lord appointed, literally uh, set out, apportioned a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. <coughs> Oops. What's very what's fascinating about this this um, this account, because it's true. This is not just myth. This is not legend. This is not a fictitious story to try to teach some good principles. This is something that actually happened. While we're following this guy named Jonah, the true focus is God. The true focus is the God who is loving who is merciful, the God who pursues. Really, this shows us the real hero of this story, the real savior. Jonah runs away from God. God pursues Jonah. God sends a storm into his life to wake him up. And then he's in the ocean. And we could think at that moment, after just reading this and thinking, man, Jonah is so pathetic. He's ridiculous. That's what he gets. That's the comeuppance for his life to drown in that sea. What does God do? 
God sends a great fish to swallow him and preserve him for three more days. That's the God that we serve. The God who loves us. The God who pursues us. The God who's not content with leaving us in sin. Again, sin just makes us go down and down and down. God wants to build us up. God is the one who moves and acts. I mean, even in the lives of these pagan sailors, God is reaching out. Here I am. I'm the one true God. Jonah didn't deserve that. These these sailors didn't deserve that. Again, reveals God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, his action. A couple of questions we, we, we can be meditating on as we continue this week. Again, Jonah was a prophet and... Um, that moment in, in 2 Kings chapter 14 when he gives a, a prophecy regarding the, the territory expanding for uh, the northern kingdom, we have to assume that that wasn't the only word of the Lord that Jonah received. And again, so he, he, was, he was a well-known prophet. People knew, oh, there's Jonah. He's the guy who hears from the Lord. Again, as an outsider looking in, they would see him and say, man, that's the kind of guy I aspire to be. Look how godly he is. He's always worshiping at the, at the, you know, in, in the synagogue. He's always you know, worshiping the Lord, talking about the Lord, declaring what the Lord told him. It's, man, I really want to be like him. Again, externally, he looks like he's devoted to the Lord. But for Jonah, what we're seeing here is that he wasn't really devoted. There was a gap in his life. And so we have to ask ourselves when it comes to our life, where are we saying yes to God? Like, okay, Lord, that I'll, I'll obey that. I'll follow that. I'll do that. Where are we saying no? For some, it's like, you know, a relationship that you shouldn't be a part of. And you know you shouldn't be a part of it. And God's making it really clear in his word, you shouldn't be in that relationship. And your response is, no. I'll say yes, Lord, on this, yes, on this, and I'll be obedient and devoted on these things, but this area, no. No. Those are the areas we need to think about. Because again, we could think we're we're all that, we're, we're really godly, we're here at church, we're Bible study, we're serving, we're doing all these things. And if anyone were to look at us, they'd say, oh, you're a very godly individual. But the truth is there's a gap between what we profess and how we live. God doesn't want that gap to exist. And he he loves us too much to let that gap get even bigger. And so sometimes he sends a storm to wake us up. Again, not to pay us back for the sin, but to bring us back from that sin. Bring us back into relationship with him. So wherever you are in your life, I don't know where you are. You you guys know. You guys know what's in the deep, dark closets and cellars of your life. Where are you saying no? Is it your finances? Is it your time? Is it your purity? Is it your, your relationships with other people? Where is God 
telling you, this is what I want you to do. But you're being like Jonah and you're saying, nope, I don't want to do it. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. It is a familiar word for a lot of us who grew up in your church. And because of its familiarity, it can sometimes lose its punch. What's really going on? Lord, it's very easy for us to point our fingers and say, how could you, Jonah? You should know better. But in reality, what we're going to see even next week is that the apple really doesn't fall far from the tree. That sometimes we behave exactly like Jonah. We don't want to, Lord. Our desire is we want to be completely 100% devoted to you. Whatever you want us to do, we want to do. How you want us to live, we want to live. Wherever you want to send us, we want to go. So help us. Holy Spirit, help us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And what's appropriate is we're going to go ahead and sing a song. An old song that was written, I think, late 30s. An old hymn called, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. So let's go ahead and stand as we uh, sing this song. I sought his will. 